morning and welcome to New Mexico People, Voices and Ideas. I'm Stephen Spitz. On today's show, Albuquerque, like other cities, has a housing crisis. But what can actually be done about it? We're going to ask Mayor Tim Keller, whose Housing Forward Initiative proposes to alter our zoning restrictions and to also convert old buildings into affordable apartments. Mayor Tim Keller, welcome back to the program. Great to be with you again. Well, I'm, I'm really looking forward to talking about your goal of 5,000 affordable units by 2025. But I'd like to really start with your reason for it, which is the city's analysis of our housing shortage. Then talk about possible zoning changes to spur construction of multifamily apartments and casitas. And finally, the city's proposal to convert old motels and buildings to affordable housing. So let's start with the city's analysis of our housing shortage. Albuquerque has about 250,000 total homes. It is short 27,000 single family homes and 13,000 market rate apartments. It also short another 28,000 affordable units and as many as another 22,000 supportive apartment units. So I'm going to stop right there, see if I understood the city's website correctly, and get your take on the shortage. I was stunned by it. Sure. Well, I appreciate you uh, going through the data, and I'll have to check our website. I think it might be, we might have overlapping categories. So I do know our general estimate is 40,000 total units. That's uh, now it, how you splice it with respect to supportive and so forth. Um, you know, sometimes units can be flexible and be both depending on. Yeah, who's that's in what there I couldn't so understand. Forth. Yeah, frankly, I wasn't sure. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. So anyway, this is a good. I learned something already, which is that we should uh, clarify that. But let's use forty thousand as our baseline. Which, to your initial point, when I heard this number, is staggering. I mean, we all know that rents are going up forty percent, and we know real estate prices are going up, and it's hard to find a place to live. But when I saw that the number was that high, I knew this was more of like a long-term emergency, if you will, that is not going to go away. Like this isn't a blip that the market's going to take care of on its own. Or frankly, let's say we build a couple of hundred units of supportive housing. That's nothing on a, on a need of 40,000. So that's why our Housing Forward program really touches on larger ways which we can redefine how our city grows really for the next decade. So, so one of the things I really wonder about, uh, Mayor Keller, is how come the market's not working? Like, for example, for market rate housing, how can it be that we're in such need of market rate housing and it's not happening? Now, as I said at the beginning, it's happening in all cities, but our shortage like on both counts, market rate and affordable, it's a, it's a stunning shortage. You know, it is, and it's so interesting how we always talk about how New Mexico is unique, how Albuquerque is unique around the country, and, you know, this is yet another example. So, believe it or not, we're actually in a sort of inverted position of most cities where, you know, they need more supportive housing and low-income housing and everything at that end of the spectrum. Our problem is actually even bigger than that. We need that, and we need a bunch of just market rate houses. And so we also have this issue in our city where we're the opposite of most cities downtown. We have disproportionately high number of 
supportive and low-income housing units downtown, whereas other cities have the reverse, where there's like no, you know, supportive housing or low-income housing downtown. And so these are just areas in which we're unique. Um, but the answer to your question in terms of why, the short answer is our zoning. Our zoning has essentially incentivized and perpetuated this issue basically since we started doing zoning in the 70s. So we kind of did this to ourselves, and some other Western cities like Phoenix and others have had similar issues. They're just ahead of us and that's why they have a gazillion suburbs and you know all the growth is spread out and uneven and there's all sorts of equity issues. So the good news is we still have a chance to fix this. Uh, but the market will not be able to do it unless we fix the zoning issues. And so I can kind of explain that further if you like, but the short answer to your question is our zoning laws. I'd like to come back to the zoning uh, in just a second, but just a couple more questions about the numbers, because when you drive around Albuquerque, uh, especially the perimeter, it, it, it actually looks like there's a fair amount of construction activity. And it actually looks like there's a lot of multifamily housing. But I, I guess as you move in toward the city, that's, that doesn't seem to be the case. Is that what's going on? That's in part. Uh, so there's two things in that. Remember, we're surrounded on um, three sides, more or less, by different forms of uh, Pueblo land yes. and or federal, you know, up against the mountains, you know, forest and things like this. So there's really only two areas left where we can grow a lot. One is the Southwest Mesa, sort of, uh, you know, far out by Trisco Heritage High School. And then the other one's Mesa del Sol. Uh, and so actually, that's a really good thing that we have Mesa del Sol because it's a very mixed use, planned, green community development. Um, but other than that, we don't really have a choice other than the remaining sort of empty lots, which typically are out on the outsides of town. And that's where you see apartments going up. So the last thing about this though is even with all that new growth that's the challenge is we do have more houses popping up than we have in the last decade but that i could pull the permit numbers and so forth i mean it's my understanding that's a couple of thousand units and again we need thirty thousand. so yeah we're like doing what we can but think of it like this we're, we're we're climbing up a hill and we are moving upwards but we're moving at a rate where we'll never get to the top that's, so that's one, the way to look at it. One more thing about the numbers, and that is, like, I, I looked at the last point in time homeless survey, and that was, they, they had approximately 1,150 unsheltered people. And given the amount of the, the, the shortage of affordable housing, I mean, that number actually sounds amazingly low to me, given, mm -hmm. given the need for affordable housing. Right. Yeah. And this is, you know, we think that number is actually like 5,000. Because remember, that's I just see. at one point in time when you like literally drive around the city and count homeless folks and go to the different shelters and do a census. Mm -hmm. So um, that number we think has always been grossly low. I see. Uh, but even if it's 5,000, saying that we still need 30,000, again, just shows you like this problem is much bigger than like an acute post-pandemic thing. This is basically about the fact that we added big new employers like Amazon and Netflix and that our economy is doing well and our housing. Which are stock, all good things, right? <laughs> yeah, theoretically. But our housing <laughs> stock has never caught up. 
since really Intel came in and Rio Rancho and the West Side was built. Mm -hmm. You know, that was the last time when our city um, growth was matching sort of demand. So we, we see this labor shortage, housing shortage, uh, all because ironically, yeah, there are some good things going on in our city, like unemployment is low and um, the demand for labor is really, really high, which means people want to move here. But now when they try and move here, they can't find housing. So, you, so, so that's the box we're in. So, so you just mentioned you, you, you think that homeless number is 5,000. And of course, your, your plan is 5,000 affordable units uh, by 2025. Now, is there any relationship between those two numbers? Yes. Yeah, that's where we get that number from. And it's also because we sort of view the government's role is to fix, you know, to help those in most need. And so that's going to be our unhoused folks and our low income folks. So we're saying, okay, we'll own that. And if we get the amount of money that we're asking for at the legislature, plus the money that council has already set aside, and we price out sort of rehab units, uh, be it hotels or older apartment buildings and things like this, or a commercial space, you know, we think we can get there. Uh, the only way to get there, though, is with rehabilitation of existing buildings, because the price to build 5,000 new units, like if we actually built them, um, I could do that off the top of my head. That might be like $200 million. I'm not exaggerating. That's how expensive construction is right now. Right. So, um, so we think we can get to 5,000, but it's all through renovation and rehab uh, and conversion. Uh, and so it's unfortunately the problem is so big and so expensive. You, you can't do it. The government can't do it just by building new housing. That, it's just too much and takes too long. Well, I want to turn to your proposal to remove uh, all the restrictive zoning, which is really preventing, uh, according to your plan, uh, multifamily housing and casitas. But before I do so, let me mention that this is New Mexico People, Places and Ideas. My name is Stephen Spitz, and I know we're very pleased to have Mayor Tim Keller with us. And Mayor Keller, you've really come up with a dramatic proposal here. Because as you explained, you think it's these restrictive zoning requirements that's really stopped development of multifamily housing. And just to begin with, why do you think that? Um, we uh, talked to lots of folks, both the people who need housing, you know, to understand this, right? And we've done two studies on this that were all done by independent entities and so forth. And they said the same thing. Because when we also talked, we said, well, where's the private sector? I mean, isn't this how like the free market's supposed to work and supply and demand? <laughs> and they, yeah. they were unanimous in what the problem is. And it's basically, think of it like a default switch. So right now, in most areas of town, uh, you can't build you know, a multi-unit uh, complex uh, or a casita in your backyard for your in-laws or for your kids. Um, you can, the default answer when you go to pull that permit from the city permit department is no, because the zoning uh, does not allow that. And so you can appeal that and you go through this all this process of hearings and eventually it goes to city council. And sometimes they say yes, and the zoning is changed and, and you can proceed. And all we're trying to say is, let's change the default to yes, you can do it. 
But if there's objections from historic neighborhoods or things like this, then that would go through the process and, and you may or may not be able to do it. So we just wanna change the default. And uh, that for us was by far and away the loudest thing that we heard because now folks won't even try and develop because basically the answer is they're never gonna be allowed to uh, at the end of the day, unless they can afford a gazillion lawyers and things like this to go through the appeals process. So, so I, I guess anyway, it's obvious mm -hmm. that you wanna do away with single family only zoning, but what are the other restrictions you wanna get rid of? Yeah, so there's really three. And, and by the way, just to clarify, we don't wanna get rid of it. We just wanna okay. change the default, right? Okay. So for example, any neighborhood that already has a historic overlay, that takes precedence. So we wouldn't change that. So if you're in, you know, Old Town, this would not change anything in Old Town because their historic overlay would have precedence over any of these other changes. This is more about just, uh, you know, standard uh, residential houses that are not in historic areas. So think of like wide swaths of town on the west side and up around the Coronado Mall and things like yeah. that. Where, Most of the city, know, a lot of the city. Yeah. yeah. So that's what this would, would affect. Um, so, so there's three things. Yeah, there's there's casitas. We'd say yes. the default is yes. The other one is converting commercial real estate to housing. So this is the problem downtown. We have all these empty office buildings and everyone's like, well, you should just convert those to apartments because that's what you need. Well, we can't do that based on our zoning code. It's not allowed. And so we want to make that possible. And the last one is hotels. We have way too many old hotels. And right now you're not allowed to convert them because you have to add a sink and you have to add an oven and some really tiny things like this that make the cost too high. And we're saying, you know what, let's say yes, as long as you do, you know, a hot plate and a, a plug-in conventional um, oven, you know, toaster oven and things like this. So without getting into the details, we wanna enable that conversion. And right now it's not allowed. So those are the three things, commercial real estate, hotels and casitas. So it seems to me that you're going to get a lot of pushback just on changing the default on single family housing because homes are people's biggest investment. The reason they bought that home is because of the neighborhood and they're going to be really concerned about any change in their neighborhood. Uh, mm -hmm. And if all you're doing is changing the default and you still have to go off through all these hearings and there's all these NIMBY objections, I, I really just wonder, at least when it comes to residential neighborhoods, how much of a difference it's going to make. Well, I mean, it's a fair question, and and you're right. Technically, if every if every neighborhood is against it, then they'll all you know they could all be stopped, even though the default is yes. But I think this gives us a chance, and right now with the default no, we are basically saying that our city will uh, stop growing, it'll be hollowed out downtown, and we're gonna be in a situation where in 20 years, uh, Las Lunas and um, you know Bernalillo are gonna be bigger than Albuquerque. I mean, uh, or like we, we just go into deep recession and we have like a Rust Belt problem. <laughs> so one of those two things will happen unless we change the zoning default. Now you're right, it doesn't guarantee success, but it gives us a chance to actually be an urban center for New Mexico, which I think is, has always been Albuquerque's vision. Even when it was growing back in the 1800s, Albuquerque was always the city of the future. And there's actually a lot of books on this. 
And Albuquerque was always the forward looking commerce hub of the state of New Mexico and the territory of New Mexico in comparison to say Santa Fe, which was you know traditionally the traditional home of uh, our everything traditional in New Mexico. So this really is a question about our identity as a city. But you are right, there's no guarantee, uh, but it's the best shot we got. So, so what you're hoping for are multifamily dwellings, apartments, and casitas. And are you counting that towards your affordable housing goals, those, the, those apartments and casitas that may result from this change? Yes, and we're counting on hotels being converted, like all I the said, rundown hotels right. on Route 66, and commercial real estate, uh, you know, buildings downtown, then turning into apartments. So when you add all those together, we see a path to that 30,000. But we also know there's, like you're saying, just, you know, there's projects that are in the works already. So when you have a $30,000 or 30,000 unit problem, if we can point a path to 10, 20,000 units, great. Yeah. You know, like that's going to take us uh, to a place where we at least again have a chance to sort of maintain our role in this region uh, as as the urban center of the Southwest. Uh, well, I, and so I, that's what's at stake. I saw the the Cal, you know, your your website cites California, and that's that that's interesting because in 2016 they had a statewide law that did away with local restrictions on casitas. And since mm. then, there have been 60,000 casitas uh, built in California. And supposedly right now, one seventh of all the building permits are casitas. And Albuquerque kind of has a tradition of casitas. Certainly mm -hmm. in the North Valley, it does. That depends on the homeowner, right? That's not some big construction magnate. That's somebody who wants to build a casita. And I, I, you know, that one, that one looks like pretty optimistic to me. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And, and you're so right culturally. I mean, casitas is how our families have lived for, yeah. you know, hundred, hundreds of years. Um, and I think, you know, we, you know, I even think of my own family and things living in, we didn't use the term casitas at the time, but they were, you know, uh, apartments above the garage, you know, yeah. or um, things like that. And, so it is, you know, it is also that notion of like a family business or a small business. In most places, part of that is, is making the choice, well, I might have my parents or my grandparents live with us for a while in their, you know, final years. But then also I might rent it to a college kid a couple, you know, for five years after that. And then my kids might live in there, you know. So it is important to understand that it's part of that, like, keeping our community together physically formula uh, that blends with the housing shortage. And I think that's why it makes so much sense for us. And uh, like you said, the irony is a lot of the historic neighborhoods where there's different rules already, they're the ones who have the most casitas already because <laughs> historically that's how we do it. So, so it's gonna be accepted in those neighborhoods. That is, it's gonna be, you, you know, the idea is gonna be promulgated and there you already have acceptance. Well, and I think if you if you you know see that the neighbors around you have casitas and you want one and they say right. that you can't, you know, I mean it may have to go through a process, but I, I can't imagine uh, that you know that would that would sort of stand in the hearing process. They'd say no, if your neighbors yeah. do, then you have the right to do it too. Mm -hmm. So 
your 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 plan is uh, five thousand affordable units uh, by twenty twenty five. I mean, this is a really aggressive. I said optimistic plan. According to the plan, I think that I read, you're you're talking about three thousand units just from these zoning changes. You know, from driveway changes, from multifamily units, and from casitas. But mm -hmm. this whole thing has a lot of moving parts. I mean, for example, you've got to get the city council to go along with it. You've got to get builders to go in. You've got to go through the zoning. So just almost in fairness to you, I mean, how, I mean, you set yourself a very specific goal, but I mean, how achievable do you really think it is to get 3,000 units uh, out of this zoning change? Mm-hmm. I think, well, first off, it is an ambitious goal and, you know, we, we may not hit it. I think the good news is it's possible and it's a good stretch goal. Uh, but that said, it, to me, it is all about the zoning changes in that if they go through, I think we have a fighting chance to get there because the demand is so high. That is the one thing about sort of the market economy, whether, you know, like if you want to move your grandparents into your house, that also says that you're freeing up wherever they're living now for that to be either bought or rented from for someone else, right? So um, there's almost a multiplier effect when that happens. I want to turn next to the plan to finance additional affordable units. You've already briefly discussed that, but before we get to it, let me mention that this is New Mexico People, Places and Ideas. My name is Stephen Spitz, and I'm very pleased to be joined today by Mayor Tim Keller. And Mayor Keller, um, as I understand it, and I, it's again, I'm getting this off the websites. You already have about twenty million dollars, which the city council has appropriated, that you can use to finance affordable units. And separate from that, you've also been uh, using about fifteen million dollars, I, I guess, a year, to supplement uh, housing vouchers. And so all this together, uh, I take it, is going to add up to some number of, of affordable units. And what you're hoping to do, basically, is convert, as you said, hotels, motels, commercial and office buildings to affordable housing units. And so why don't you, if you could just explain a little more about how, how that's going to work. Mm -hmm. Sure. So basically we we put in a uh supportive housing complex uh down on i think it's on fourth street uh next to hope works and it costs you know just let's use round as to the numbers it, it's got like 40 units and it costs like 20 million dollars um what we realized when we did that is that is just a not sustainable way to deal with our housing crisis and so that led us down a path of being much more creative and understanding a little bit about like, okay, if you actually did have to make, you had $20 million, but you needed 500 units, is that possible? And the answer is it could be if you bought essentially using round math, five hotels of hundred units each, right? For $4 million. And that's how the math works. And we think, you know, there's some hotels might be 50 units, some might be 150 and, you know, the prices, but on average, that's the math. We think these hotels can be converted to apartments uh, at 
basically 80% the cost of building a brand new building. So and how, much hotels, per unit, how much per unit would that be for, for, for converting it? Uh, Approximately, just round number. Yeah, I think we said 10,000. I said, boy, that, so yeah. that is unbelievably inexpensive relative yeah, to building makes, a new unit. Right. Now we build in, you know, roof repairs and, you know, there's yeah. all sorts of other aspects, but that's the key. And I think this is where there is opportunity for our city. In other words, like we we're not in a situation yet where we have to sort of either give up on, you know, who we are in terms of, you know, growth of suburbs and things like this, or uh, just, Hey, housing is expensive. We don't have to give up on just doing a better job supplying housing because we have existing uh, hotel stock and commercial real estate stock that we can convert to uh, residential units at a relatively cheap price. And uh, that's the opportunity that we're trying to seize with our $20 million. So, so we're nearing the end of the show and I, I'd like to get your view from say 30,000 feet of this 5,000 units, affordable units by 2025. And if it's successful, and if any substantial number of unhoused people uh, get housed, I mean, that's a, that's a positive because the typical unhoused person is actually uh, an infant or a child. And that's kind of been unforgivable in society. But Taking a, uh, the broader view, are, that's a positive, but are there other positives that you think will happen to Albuquerque or because of this program uh, that will benefit Albuquerque? Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's a very good question. And I'll give you three parts to that 30,000 foot uh, vision. I think we wanna see one, you know, fewer people on our streets that are unhoused. And however you wanna define that at a high level, I think we all viscerally can feel whether or not that that is happening or, or going in the opposite direction. The other thing you wanna see is rents, uh, the, the increase in rental rates, not like they are now. So those should go down. And the other thing is we should see our families being able to stay together and at a lower cost. So this does go back to this concept of, of casitas, but instead of having, you know, two properties on, on one on the west side, one on the east side, uh, families are able to stay together in one of those locations, uh, which is good for the family, but also freeing up that other house for a family who needs housing. And so I think those are ways to look at this that in total add up to us being able to grow as a city in terms of our actual uh, boundaries and who we are as sort of Albuquerque and in the metro area for a generation to come and maintaining that vision of Albuquerque as the urban center for the state and also as a wonderful place to live. And I think there's an alternative vision to that, which is if we don't do this, we're going to see rents pricing everyone out. We're going to see more people on our streets and our families will have to move out to further cities, further outside the city limits. And I think eventually we would see, you know, what we've seen in other areas like the Rust Belt and so forth, where Albuquerque is truly in decay. So those are two visions for you. One that I hope we're gonna hit, but I think also a warning that if we don't 
work on this. Uh, I don't want us to end up like some of those hollowed out cities uh, in the Rust Belt, but that's what may happen if we don't make these changes. Well, uh, we're going to have to leave it there. I would like to thank Mayor Tim Keller for joining us today. Uh, thanks also to my producers, Gusta Foy and Tristan Quam. The executive producer of this show is Lynn Becky, and my name is Stephen Spitz. You've been listening to New Mexico People, Places and Ideas on KUNM. Podcasts of the show are available wherever you get podcasts. Search Stephen Spitz. Archives of past shows are at stephenspitz.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time.